Okay, welcome back. Uh, this is part two of our series on Blade Runner. There'll be this will be a nineteen part series on Blade Runner. <laughs> no, that's Kubrick, <laughs> right? Um, and so last time we did kind of uh, the production of Blade Runner with some other stuff thrown in, and this time uh, Peter and I are going to do the legacy of Blade Runner, which is really kind of a different topic entirely. Um, so I think it's I think it's fair to say that this movie changed movies forever. Right. Um, I mean, this was, you know, probably the biggest high concept sci-fi film since 2001. Um, and I think this probably affected a whole generation of comics, animes, and mainstream movies and books. Well, I think it, it popular, besides the, the movie side, it popularized Philip K. Dick because anybody who wasn't reading pulp sci-fi uh, all of a sudden knew who Philip K. Dick was. Right. And I, and it was a boon for the publishers because, you know, these Philip K. Dick stories were already written and suddenly there was a huge hunger for them. Right. You know, and they could reissue all his books, you know, with the author of, you know, with the cover prominently saying, you know, by the author of Blade Runner, you know. Right. Which they did. And yeah, also and it worked. Like, right. And every- worked for me. Every college campus started having a sci-fi society, um, or at least, or at least a class on Philip K. Dick. My college had a class on Philip K. Dick, which, I, ironically, I didn't take. Um, I thought you were the TA. <laughs> I could if I if I could have I would have. <laughs> I was too busy pipetting, I think. Um, but um, and that would be mean, the ideal place to pick up a chick. <laughs> pipetting? <laughs> no, Philip K. Dick. I was going to say because I tried it pipetting, it totally didn't work. <laughs> it also didn't work for me anywhere, pretty much. Um, also, it would never work because there are no chicks in Philip K. Dick class. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I think that all of a sudden people started reading this Dick stuff, and you know, and his big central theme is you know what's real and what's not. I mean, right. all through. All of his, all of his works, his short stories, uh, and his novels. I mean, that's his central theme, pretty much, I guess, owing to Dick's illness himself. Right. Right. I mean, because was he schizophrenic or schizoaffective? I don't, do you think he ever was really diagnosed? I mean, he was also kind of a drug addict frequently, right? On and off, at least. Well, but was he, I don't know. I mean, look, I mean, was I, he, he did a lot of medicating. Was he self medicating? Who knows? Uh, yeah, maybe he was know. just maybe he was just bipolar because he was pretty productive. He couldn't have been forty four books, one hundred and twenty one short stories. That's, I thought he was that's bipolar. more than pretty. That's more than pretty productive. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if what his diagnosis was. He, by the way, he was married five times, which is an argument against him being schizophrenic. Yeah, I mean, being right? that productive is an argument, too. Right, but also the fact that, like, a schizophrenic is not going to have five wives. That's, right. I, that's I, I really, you, really tough. Yeah, but somebody, <laughs> bipolar person certainly will. No, that's my point. Like, maybe he was yeah. schizoaffective or bipolar or, you know, or something NOS. But, uh, but boy, that's a pretty good argument that he wasn't schizophrenic. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I just did a quick check of... This this is a this is I think a partial list of movies made off of his either his books or short stories. Ready? So Blade Runner, uh, Total Recall, Screamers, Minority Report, 
Adjustment Bureau, Scanner Darkly, Imposter, Radio Free Albemuth, which I've never seen. They made a movie out of that? Yeah. Next, Paycheck. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, that's just a couple. Hmm. I mean, that's a pretty impressive list of movies. I mean, there's a lot of B stuff in there, but there's definitely some A stuff in there. And some of them have been made twice. Like, there's two Blade Runners. There's two Total Recalls. I think there's two Screamers. I think that I'm pretty sure there's a sequel to Screamers. Um, so you know, unfortunately, most of them weren't very good. Well, I don't know if they, I don't know if most of them weren't very good. I, I think it's fair to say that most of them are just genre works. Do you know what I mean? Like, for example, like Screamers is not a bad movie, but it's it's a, like a low budge movie. Um, Scanner Darkly is pretty good. Uh, Adjustment Bureau. I mean. That's kind of a B movie with A-list stars. That's Matt Damon and uh, Emily Blunt. Um, but I mean, you know, like there's not a lot of authors who have 10 of their works made into films. Yeah, no way. You know, some of them, you know, I mean, look, you know, Minority Report's a Spielberg movie for crying out loud. Yep. And so Total Recall was uh, Arnie Verhoeven. at its height. Right. And that's yeah. Paul Verhoeven. That's kind right. of, you know, it's Both funny because Total Recall, it's like Total Recall and Verhoeven are sort of like Paul Verhoeven at his most unrestrained, you know, yep. like the camera lovingly watches the bullet go through the guy's skull kind of movie. Yep. <laughs> Did you ever see, by the way, the remake of Total Recall with Colin Firth? No. Uh, sorry, Colin Farrell, not Colin, Colin Firth. Farrell. Uh, it's terrible. Like it's just, it, it had every, they had every right and every reason for it to be good. Like it's him. It's, um, what's her name? Um, the girl who was in the aviator, she's in it. She's terrific. Um, and it's just, you know, they've got a ton of money. They've got good actors. It looks great. And it's terrible. Like, it's just terrible. Right. Um, but you know, like imposter is a B movie. Um, Next is kind of a B movie. So I don't know. I wouldn't say that they're bad, but they're, you know, they're just, they're sort of B genre, genre. No, I don't think I've seen a Scanner Darkly and I like Linklater. I got to see that. Scanner Darkly is, it's interesting because the whole thing is done in that sort of like rotoscope effect. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if they actually call it rotoscoping, but it sort of looks like that. Um, but that's what I thought when I saw it. I thought, oh, this looks like rotoscoping. But it's probably some sort of more modern, fancy computer approach. Oh, and they also made uh, The Man in the High Castles and Amazon series. Oh, yeah, totally. You're completely right. Totally yeah. forgetting the uh, television series. How many seasons uh, did A Man in the High Castle go? One or two or three? Two, I don't even know. Two or three, I think. You know, I read the book. and I've never seen the show. Hmm. I think I, I'm all kidding aside. I haven't like, seen I think it either, actually. I don't. I certainly haven't read everything Dick wrote, but I, I think I've read like fifteen or twenty of the novels, and I have a large volume of his short stories that my father gave me that I read every one when I was in high school, mm-hmm. kind of at the peak of my Blade Runner interest. Right. Um. But so I mean, I think one is that this movie exposed the world to Philip K. Dick, whereas I think probably at that point a lot of people had just forgotten about him or he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a hot property anymore. You know, I mean, a lot of his no. works are from the sixties. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he yeah, the, the, exactly. I mean, he wrote, he wrote from his, throughout his adult life up to his death, but sure. I, the guy wrote right. The fifties and the sixties was really his most productive time. 
And like, for example, did you ever see uh, Dark City? Like Dark City is, you did see it, you said? Yeah, I saw it I a mean, long time ago. I mean, Dark City is essentially could have been written by um, Philip K. Dick. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, you could see how, like in the same way that, for example, Ridley Scott saw Star Wars and said, oh my God, I've got to be doing something like this. You could imagine how, you know, from the minute that this thing came out till even today, people are watching Blade Runner and said, oh, I've got to do something like that. Right? Yeah. I've got to, you know, you know, like I always joke, good artists borrow, great artists steal, right? And like, and like for example, you know, we we uh, we touched on Ghost in the Shell, I think, in one of our recent podcasts. And, you know, Ghost in the Shell in its original anime format is 1995. And I mean, like the influence of Blade Runner on Ghost in the Shell is just top to bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know what else is uh, Strange Days? Didn't you like Strange Days? Yeah. I, no, I, God, I saw it so long ago. But Strange Days could, I mean, that may as well be set in the same world. Right. Well, I mean, cyber, right. I mean, cyberpunk, although Gibson, I guess, William Gibson wrote uh, Neuromancer completely independently of of the movie Blade Runner. Right. And I think think we even said in a prior podcast that I had read an interview that Gibson went to see Blade Runner while he was writing Neuromancer and fled the theater because he was afraid it would affect him. Um, He said it was like watching the, looking at the inside of his head. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think what else you could consider, you know, like inspired by, I guess to some extent, the matrix a little bit, some aspects of the matrix. Sure. I mean, it's it's hard um, to find any science fiction thereafter that wasn't really affected by it. Just like, you know, you can't find anything after 2001 that came out that wasn't affected by 2001. Yeah. What about Gattaca? You know, Gattaca, like, they're all people, but, like, there are sort of, like, perfect people and regular people. Gattaca, yeah, it, it, it has a sort of a paranoid phil dick feel to it yeah and that there's a sort of a gumshoe aspect to it right the um what's his name the uh alan arkin character right is sort of running around yeah try you know i haven't seen children of men i think i saw it but um, some people have once. commented that that's sort of blade runner like people have said to me that i should see children of men because of uh because of Blade Runner. Yeah. Right? I'm trying to think of what else. I guess you could say maybe Rollerball. Right? Which is which is the remake is afterwards, although the the first one is before. No, the first Rollerball one was is nineteen seventy five. Yeah. Right. But the remake maybe is a little more Blade Runner esque. I don't know, but like, I mean, like, you know, we've already based, I mean, we're, we're now at about 20 movies that either are directly made from Dick's work or you could kind of see how they were inspired by them. Yeah. And I, I think it, it just fit the feel of the times about the international aspect alone. You know, you see in other parts of culture, you know, even like we mentioned last time with, with Michael Crichton, but 
the the fact that the in the future it it doesn't just look like America, um, right? It's sort of globalist, and not just America, just look like Southern Cal, right? It's it's globalist. It's heavily Asian. Um, ethnic lines are blurred, uh, or at least there maybe there are ethnic lines, but they're not the same lines um, as now. And so it, it made a future that was sort of unhappy but not and technological but a little scary and not just like like skynet and the terminator which is just purely uh disastrous it's just uh, post-apocalyptic it's clearly not post-apocalyptic uh so because of that it's almost more realistic yeah that's true and sort of like everything looks like Times square but dirty yep have you ever yeah. read of the Blade Runner curse? No. The Blade Runner curse is that basically if your company is featured prominently in the background of Blade Runner, oh, you're it's going gone. Business. <laughs> right. Pan Am. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Atari, right? right? Like the Atari logo is prominent. In the new Blade Runner trailer, they show the Atari logo. So I think they're sort of winking at that. <laughs> That's funny. Right. Pan Am, Atari, RCA is in there. Um, and uh, there's the Bell Telephone. Uh, well, you logo know, they picked, is in there. To be honest, those are all the most iconic um, logos that they picked. You know, like the Pam- Pan Am logo is a great logo. You know, it's very iconic, right? Well, you know, it's funny because I was in the city. I was in New York not too long ago, and like, it to me, it's still the Pan Am building. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it, I, I know that it's the MetLife building now, but it, like, it I will know. kind of always be the Pan Am building. I know. I think they should have left Pan Am up there. Yeah, why not? You know what I mean? Why not? I I, do, you, do you remember when helicopters used to land on the Pan Am building? Mm, no. When we but were I kids, can, yeah. helicopters used to land. And then I think twice they had accidents and they were like, that's <laughs> the end of that. Because <laughs> right, they're right on top of um, Grand Central. Right. Right. Directly below the Pan Am building is Grand Central Station. And they couldn't have helicopters falling on. <laughs> People coming in on Metro North, yeah, or the or the LIE. <laughs> um, no, no, wait, no, that's right. No, the LIE does not come into Grand Central. You're right; it's just Metro North. You're totally right. You're yeah, the LIE correct. Goes I'm to mixing the uh, I'm far mixing, less uh, grand I'm Pennsylvania mixing, station. Yeah, although the old Penn Station was beautiful, and um, I think they're actually working on the new one. By the way. Yeah, you know the the Moynihan project, you know where they're going to use the post office. Uh, I don't know. Oh. Hey, I'm listen to this. Then we'll get we'll get back to Blade Runner in a second. On May sixteenth, this is from Wikipedia. On May sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven, a Sikorsky S sixty one helicopter discharged its passengers. The front landing gear collapsed. The aircraft toppled onto its side with the rotors still turning. One of the blades broke off. Flew into a crowd of passengers. Three people killed instantly. One killed later, and the blade sailed over the side of the building and killed a female pedestrian on the corner of Madison and Forty Third. Yeah. Helicopter service was quickly suspended, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> um, and I think you know what you know what else I think too about this movie is it'll let sci-fi be more serious. Yep, you know what I'm saying. Like it kind of like like the the country and the world were in the throes of Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like happy ending, Star- right? Not just Star Wars. E. But- 
Uh, right, like, E.T. came after, but... But, yeah, but, you know, not just Star Wars, right? We went from Star Wars to Empire Strikes Back. Okay, good. And then we had the Ewoks and the toys. The and the, right. I mean, you're talking about... We're in the throes of the Ewoks. But this also lets sci-fi be serious, you know what I'm saying? And lets people say it's okay to go ahead and make a serious science fiction film. Right, you can make a film about reality and depressing themes right and, and, and sort of high concept sci-fi you know was very very popular in the 60s and especially in the 70s and then sort of you know in 77 that goes away and it really right. kind of goes away for a decade mm-hmm. right because you know like like in 80 in 84 you and i are watching back to the future which is you know a, it's it's arguably a, it's really a sci-fi movie but it's also there's a lot of light motif stuff and fun and mm-hmm. games and johnny be good um, but you know, this, I, I think that this, for those who wanted something serious that they could sort of sink their teeth into this kind of held them over to get through that time period until sort of sci-fi high concept movies came back. Yeah. It's look, the fact is to reach the kind of heights that this movie reached, it's not easy. And uh, you can't, not every movie can be transformative or be or initiate a genre or change a genre as an inflection point this is just this was one of those films so the 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 there was an inflection point the line changed after this movie and it even without the other movies we were citing it just sort of it changed people's kind of worldview of things in a way i think it's it darkened people's conception of what the future might be yeah no, Even I think without it's true. playing into into something made by Hollywood, I think it, I think it 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 hit. You know, it struck a chord. You know, for to use a cliche, but it really did. I think it it kind of solidified a concept. I think pe- anybody who who's maybe a little introspective or sort of thinks about things um, wonders what the future is going to be like, right? And and I think sometimes this movie it it tweaked that nerve and it connected in a way that um, it was not only not quite dystopian per se, but sort of believable in tone, believable as, um, as a potential future that where, you know, technology, it didn't, it didn't lead to society being destroyed. It didn't lead to Skynet taking over. There was nothing that required really that much a leap to that, although replicants obviously are a leap, but you could even think about this without the replicants. It still holds up as a, as a technological future, um, cultural and technological future. And I think it really stuck. Yeah. Conceptually. Well, you know, I, you know, I think, I think that one thing that we f- haven't covered that we should is the influence that Blade Runner had not just on American cinema, but on anime. Right. Sure. I mean, you I'm not a, I mean? I'm not a, I'm not an anime connoisseur by, by even by any stretch, but yeah, I, I don't, what was, I don't know quite what the anime besides, you know, like Speed Racer and uh, all that. Well, I, I wouldn't even consider Speed Racer, but I mean, for example, have you ever seen Akira? Yeah, back in I mean, the day. Akira, but... very, very hard. Um, 
you know, AD police files, uh, bubblegum crisis. I mean, ghost in the shell, which I, we mentioned in the last podcast. I mean, these are, these are animes that you almost couldn't have made without blade runner. And like, for example, um, uh, just, you know, like there are some shots that are so similar or some heart, some technology that's so similar, you know, th- these must be the creators of the anime nodding and winking, you know, mm-hmm. over to Ridley Scott. And again, you know, uh, we haven't even really touched on comics, but there's probably a ton of stuff in comics. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, half of comics these days, you walk into any comic shop and half of comics that aren't superhero or base or, or Doctor Who or whatever, some sort of tie in are basically, you know, some version of a cyberpunk world. Right. I, I think it within the science fiction genre, it changed everything. It, co- it coincided with uh, with William Gibson and the release of the cyberpunk concept. Neil Stevenson, Greg Right, Bear. and the spinoffs, right. The spinoffs after that, that it changed science fiction. So that whole genre was completely changed. But that I kind of, that's the, the least you can do is sh- change a, a little subgenre. But I think yeah. it struck a broader chord than that. Anything on TV? Anything on TV? I mean, we, you, you talked about the man on the high castle, but I don't know. I mean... I guess alienation a little bit. Alienation owes a little bit to this. I mean, there's no extraterrestrials in Blade Runner, but alienation has some of the same aspects. Again, sort of focusing on the police procedural part. Mm-hmm. I never really got into alienation. Did you watch it? It was on for a long time. I don't think I did either. Yeah, I, I don't know. I remember when it was on, just sort of not really being into it. What's interesting is how un-Star Trek the world of Blade Runner is, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like Star Trek is like, especially like the next gen, you know, those people are living on a luxury hotel, you know, with replicators and carpet and soft lighting. You know what I mean? Yeah. No weather. And a counselor and no money. Right. Whereas, no weather. Whereas, and, and, and functionally unlimited resources. Whereas Blade Runner is set in the, in the world of the, the depleted earth, right? In Dread, they have the cursed earth, but in this, it's more of like the depleted earth, right? Like you said in the last one, people who weren't good enough to get picked to go off world, like sort of the dregs left behind. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, nothing like that. It's nothing like Star Trek. It's nothing like Star Wars. Um, it's, it's nothing like Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> no, although I guess there's some, I guess there's, well, it's, that's not really true. It's like the new Battlestar Galactica, which is very, very much about artificial humans and AI and what's a person, what's not a person. So actually, I would say nay to one. Glenn A. Larson, Battlestar right. Galactica. I would say yay to Ron Moore, Battlestar Galactica. Which right, is really, well, which is well, really he very heavily, you know, that's basically actually the Ron Moore Battlestar Galactica is Star Trek meets Blade You're Runner, right? Right. Well, it's, I it's, mean, it's it's uh, capital ships and faster than light travel and a military structure with all of the trappings of Blade Runner thrown in. Right, and I think right, it's it, right. Blade Runner meets meet right. star trek star trek. and ron moore came directly from you know his years of work on the star trek uh next generation era shows and he i'm sure is probably similar age to us and i'm sure was blown away by blade runner oh yeah i'm sure it must have had a huge impact on him and ron moore has said in interviews that he wanted to to do 
new Battlestar Galactica in part because he felt that there were a million stories that Star Trek wouldn't let him tell. Like he couldn't do anything dark. He had to have a happy ending every episode. They had, you know what I'm saying? They always had to work it out and smile and be friends and shake hands. Um, and that was one of the reasons he went in that direction. Did you watch the new Battlestar Galactica? Oh yeah. I, I got totally, uh, totally into it. Although I was not exactly happy with the ending. We should do a podcast on it. We should. I never, I, I didn't finish it out. I think I saw the first three years and then I sort of lost the thread, but I saw the first three years and I thought the TV movie was amazing. I remember, I remember when the TV movie came out, like it started with a two, I think a two hour or four hour thing on sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, uh, it was like 2002, I think. And I just remember like seeing the trailer coming and being like, I couldn't tell from the trailer, like, was it going to be good or was it going to be bad? Cause you never know a sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when I watched it, I actually, I videotaped it and I didn't watch it when it was on and I, I taped it with the VCR and I watched it like a day or so later. And I just remember being in awe of how good it was. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, they had really kind of outdone themselves and taken it, taken an admittedly campy property that I don't have a lot of fondness for. Um, and they had really reinvented it in a clever new way. Mm-hmm. And I loved all the casting, by the way, Edward James Olmos. Yep. Speaking of Blade Runner, right? As Commander and, Adama. Right, and, himself. Which, and he finally became more sort of a big star right. in, in Battlestar Galactica. And stands with a fist as the as President Laura Roslin. So I guess, you know, I guess, that, you know, maybe, I mean, in some ways, you know, because new Battlestar Galactic has affected a lot of television sci-fi. I mean, maybe, you know, like you could sort of see like a legacy or sort of like a lineage, you know, like, like some sci-fi show has stolen something from new Battlestar Galactica, which has taken heavily from Blade Runner, you know, which was made by somebody who came from Star Trek. Like you can sort of see how everything's all tied in together, sort of the interconnectedness of all of the genre stuff. Mm-hmm. Man, what hasn't Blade Runner touched? Sharknado. <laughs> um, I don't think I can see. Yeah, <laughs> they died on their own. Actually, there are none left. You don't go to comic shops, do you? Much, do you? No. Do they still have comic shops? Oh, you, yeah, they have tons of comic shops. Uh, I go to comic shop maybe once a month just to sort of check it out. I don't buy a lot of comics, but I like graphic novels. Like, I don't want it. I don't want one issue at a time. I'll tend to wait until something comes out all in one and buy it all in one, so I can read the whole thing in a day. But there's, I mean, we should at some point we should talk about comics too. But I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things happening in comics and graphic novels now. Like, it's it's way way better than when we were kids. It's much more sophisticated. And they have when we were kids, they had stuff for kids. Now they have stuff for kids, you know, young adults, full adults. Like there's a lot of good stuff out there in the comics world. And you, you know, can not, not just iPad. not just in the realm of fantasy, you know, like Dan Klaus and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and you can you can just read the thing on your iPad now too. Yeah, although honestly it's hard. Like it's funny because I bought some I bought some graphic novels for the iPad and the Kindle and it, it's just it's hard. Like it's not quite the same as having it in your hand. Hmm. Uh should we wrap? Should we wrap? That's, I don't know. Like we could literally go on forever. Cause the more and more you start thinking about this, like there's more and more tendrils out there, but I think we've hit the big ones. Yeah. I think we're good. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm more excited for the new Blade Runner than you are. Like I'm less cynical. Like I like the director. I like his work. I like Ryan Gosling. I'm sort of curious to see Edward James almost in it again. I don't know. Like the trailers I've seen look really good. 
I mean, you know, I'm just thinking about Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indy four. Oh, however many <laughs> yeah, they made. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I hear you. Um, I mentioned it in the last podcast, but I'm gonna just gonna say it one more time. You must read Tears and Rain. It's the first Bruna Husky book, uh, the one I, I mentioned earlier by Rosa Montero. Like the in in just one man's opinion, the best piece of anything derived from Blade Runner to ever come out. And like, I think you can buy it on Kindle for like two bucks, but it was like, it was brilliant. Like I, I just, I was so happy. I stumbled across it. Cool. All righty. See you next time. All right, let's wrap there. And uh, thanks everybody. <laughs> so bad. <laughs>